Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in the middle of a developing tourism town? Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Like most people listening, I had a steady job, lots of stress, worked my ass off so I could enjoy vacations. One day, I came to the realization that I needed to embed myself into a vacation permanently. So that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town on the Pacific coast with a population of about 15,000 people. I have a small sailboat charter business which pays the bills and leaves a bit left over to cover my habits. And even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this. 36-year-old Texas guy and his two trusty Labradors are transplanted into a developing country. And they're trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. These are the stories of what life is like. Some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. I'm officially in the pig farming business for the second time in my life. I raised a pig in high school. His name was Buddha. And I thought that I could win the Montgomery County Fair Livestock Show with Buddha, especially if I trained him well. And although I had the most well-trained pig of all the pigs in the show, he lost. He was turned into bacon. And my uncle Danny bought him and ate him. So I don't know, the other day, I'm not sure how this started. I don't remember the exact progression of the conversation, but I was standing outside talking to Ronnie, the caretaker, and I think I asked him where we could buy a whole pig and cook the whole thing. And I think his response was, why don't we just grow one? And then my response was, why don't we just grow like six or seven? So he said, okay. So the deal that I made with Ronnie and his buddy Ismail was I would buy all the materials to make the pen. I would buy all the feed. I'd buy the pigs. Would raise them and then sell them live for the market rate. And then if we wanted to keep one or two and cook it, we could. So yesterday they spent all day building the pen. The only thing we bought from the hardware store was a roll of wire fence and some tacks and some nails. And I asked them, where are you going to get the posts from? And they said, we're going to make the posts. Kind of looked at me like I was stupid. So I bought the roll of the wire mesh uh, last week, and they hadn't started it. They had just kind of cleared all the brush out from where we wanted to put it. We found a spot that was right in the shade, and they kind of cleaned the underbrush, burned it. They burned a big pile of something because they just love burning stuff. So 
They burned something. And then I woke up yesterday morning to what sounded exactly like a machete trying to cut through a gigantic piece of wood. And that's what it was. So I woke up. I walked out there. And there's Ronnie. He's already cut down a tree about six inches in diameter, cut all the limbs off of it. And he's whacking away at it. In about an eight-foot section, he was just slapping it with a machete, cutting it, I mean, dead on. Just The machete must have been razor sharp because he would swing it, and it would smack the log and go into it, and it would get stuck, and he'd have to wiggle it three or four times to get it out, and then he'd swing it again. And I sat there and watched him cut through that six-inch log, probably 35 or 40 smacks with a machete. And I asked him if he had a chainsaw, and he just laughed at me. He said, man, do you know how expensive those are? <laughs> I said, yeah, I think I do. So anyway, so Ismail came over, and they cut down three trees that were really tall, really straight, cut all the limbs off, cut them off, eight-foot sections, dug two-foot holes, set them in the ground, you know, tamped the dirt around the post, just like you're supposed to do. They didn't have levels. They didn't have string lines. They didn't have any of that stuff, and it worked out just fine. It's now, it's probably an area about the size of, I don't know, 20 feet by 30 feet, and we're going to buy six pigs, and we're going to put them in there. And so now the next step is to find the pigs. So Felipe, the nighttime watchman, has got a little farm that he lives on, and he claims to know where we can buy the pigs. So we're ready for the pigs. I've just got to buy some food buckets and water buckets, and we're good to go. And I'm hoping, well, what my plan is to feed them all the extra mangoes that just fall on the ground and rot. And so Ronnie has to pick them up anyway. So I'm thinking, like, just let's just pick them all up and feed them to the pigs, and maybe the pigs will taste like good and sweet, delicious mangoes. Another thing I'm going to do with the pig project is I'm going to sit down with Ronnie and show him how the math works on a little business project. And I asked him yesterday if he knew how to work a calculator. And he kind of looked at me and shook his head a little bit, but didn't really want to say no, but didn't really want to say yes. So he kind of shrugged his shoulders, goes, yeah, kind of. And I'm thinking, well, either you know how to work a calculator or you don't. So we're going to have a calculator lesson. Hopefully he understands basic math. So that's the goal. We're going to sit down tomorrow or the next day and learn about ledgers. And I think it's important for him to see how the numbers work. So if you could teach someone, keep track of your cost, and who knows, maybe he can start his own little business. Some. Stay tuned for the pig updates. So I know I've mentioned Ismail, Ronnie's buddy, a few times. And he lives down the road a little bit and comes over here and hangs out with Ronnie. I guess the house where Ishmael works, he's also a caretaker of a property. And where he works, people aren't there all the time. So he's got a lot of free time. So he comes over here and hangs out. And he, like, he just helps Ronnie cut the grass and he helps him clean the pool. And I think that like if Ronnie had free time, he would go to Ishmael's place and do the same thing. So it's pretty cool to see him helping each other out. but And they're both about their mid-30s, I think 35, 36. And they give each other hell. They're always clowning on each other, trying to bust each other's balls. Ronnie calls Ismail travesty, and he's trying to say transvestite, but he can't. And I've tried to explain to him what the difference between a travesty and transvestite is, and he'll get it kind of right for three or four tries, and then he goes back to travesty. But that's okay. I, I know what he means. And he also, he also accuses Ismail of being gay. So every time Ismail comes up, Ronnie says something to him like, well, how was lunch with your boyfriend? And he looks at me and just starts laughing. And it, the funniest part to me is how funny Ronnie thinks he's being. And Ismail just kind of shrugs it off, doesn't really say much, just laughs and smiles. But Ronnie is always giving him hell, calling him gay, transvestite, and saying that his wife runs him. And Ismail just rolls with it. It's hilarious. 
But the other day, I was talking to Ronnie, and he was telling me that his son was sick and that his wife had to take the baby to the town where they're from. There's a doctor there, and they're going to get the baby looked at. And he was telling me that the baby was constipated. And then he also told me that Ishmael has a baby about the same age who's also constipated. And so I asked Ronnie, I said, why do you think they're both constipated? He said, oh, it's, it's definitely, it's the weather. It's, it's got to have something to do with the weather. So I thought that was hilarious that the only common thing that they could put for making babies constipated was the weather. And I'm no baby doctor. I'm not even a doctor, and I don't know anything about babies, but I'd be willing to bet that the weather had nothing to do with two babies being constipated. Just my guess. Today is July 19th, 2015. And July 19th in Nicaragua is a big holiday. It took me a while to figure it out. About Wednesday, I noticed that they were painting the FSLN, which is one of their uh, political parties, and their colors are black and red, and they write FSLN in white. And so I noticed on Wednesday that every like, light pole and power pole going into town had a red and black stripe on it, and then it said FSLN. And I'm thinking, why wow, are they already getting ready for the election? Because that's what they'll do when it comes election time. And that, the current president, Danielle Ortega, is a member of this party. And this party, the, the Sandinistas, overthrew the government, which was ruled by a guy named Samosa, for about four generations, where his family is like, he would be president, and then his son would be president, and then that son would be president, and then that son would be president. It was like a dynasty. So in like 1979, this, this group led by Augusto Sandino decided they'd had enough. So they gathered up everyone, students, guerrilla warfare, and put together like a makeshift army, overthrew Zamosa, and sent him on his way. So now that's been the reigning party since 79. And so Danielle Ortega, who's the current president, is a big party member, obviously. So at election time, they come through and just plaster his face all over everything. They paint their colors all over everything, and they write the initials of FSLN on everything. So the election is until 2016, and I thought it was kind of odd to see all that stuff right now. Well, I didn't know about this holiday. So July 19th was the day that they overthrew the government and put the Sandinista party in power. But I thought it was kind of weird that they create this holiday, and they also promote a political party. And in my mind, the, the reigning political party, the FSLN, is really not that different than the Zamosa party, or the, the party led by Zamosa, because... Daniel Ortega has now put a law in the Constitution that says there's no term limits on a presidency in Nicaragua. So he basically just wrote himself in for life. Because I don't know for sure, but I suspect that the elections are fixed. Because he wins with an overwhelming majority of the vote. And a lot of people you talk to don't really like him. He's an he's a extreme socialist and tries to call himself a capitalist. But what he does is he wants all the money to come in, and then I think... Maybe he takes a little bit for himself and then gives the rest back out to the people. But he may take a lot for himself. I don't know. Um, if you find me with my head cut off tomorrow, you'll know why. So anyway, this weekend, is it's a huge party weekend. And it's what I call a stay away weekend. So you stay away from town because people park up and down both sides of the street. There's no parking lots in town. It's just a little city with the buildings right up against the sidewalk. So there's no front yard. There's no backyard. It's just little buildings. And so when all these people come into town to, to party for this holiday, they just flood the whole place. Everywhere's crowded. Can't get around. They block off roads to put stages up. And there's not much thought that goes into logistics. So you stay away. And so that's what's happening right now. 
the Sandinista party weekend. And a, uh, another thing I forgot to mention about Ronnie is that the other day he called me out to, he was standing out in the yard and he called me out to a little bare spot in the ground and he pointed the ground and was telling me what all he planted and for like a little garden, but they don't do like a proper garden like we would do back home. They just find one little area that's got the right amount of sunlight and then they just cut the grass down extremely low, almost all the way to bare dirt. They don't till it up. They just dig a little hole. They throw the seeds in the ground and they watch them come up. And so he planted watermelon, cantaloupe, cucumber, and this other deal they call pepein, I think. It's this, it looks kind of like a giant squash, and it's white, but I've heard that it tastes like a zucchini. So I don't know for sure, but we'll see when they come up. But he showed me where he planted them all. Then the next day I saw Ismail come over, and Ronnie was kind of showing Ismail where he had put everything, and Ismail was kind of giving us feedback, and they were just like two old guys, you know, talking about their gardens. And I'll have to admit that I haven't been too impressed with watermelons here. I think the soil in the southwest part of the country isn't nearly as fertile as the soil when you go north. Because as you go north, you see people selling watermelons on the side of the road. And they go from little tiny, like basketball-sized watermelons to big, long Texas watermelons. And I've been upset since I've gotten here because I've maybe bought 10 watermelons, maybe 15, and two of them have been good. They're either overripe or underripe or just not sweet or really white. And there's nothing more frustrating than cutting into a watermelon. And you know immediately when you get it split open if it's going to be good or not. And, man, I am tempted just to throw it away. If it's not good, just throw it away. But I'll cut it all up. I spend all the time. I put it in the refrigerator, and then I don't eat it because it's not good. And then I end up throwing it all away after I cut it up because I just can't bring myself to throw it away before I cut it up. But last night, or yesterday I was out and about, and I was at the market, and I bought a watermelon, and they have uh, these other mangoes are in season now called Mango Rosa, which means pink mango. And so they start out green, and they end up kind of turning a reddish color as they get ripe, and it kind of gives them like a little pink color. And I'd never had one before, and I've always heard people talk about how good they are. I don't have that kind of tree on my property, so I hadn't eaten one. So I bought one of those, and this thing was huge. I'm talking the size of a pineapple, a gigantic mango. And I've gotten pretty good at picking out mangoes. I know that they got to be, like, almost rotten, and then they're really, really good. So I grabbed it and squeezed it. It was good and soft. I said, okay, I'll try that. So last night, about 7 o'clock rolls around, and I thought to myself, well, I better go cut up that watermelon and that mango. And so I cut open the watermelon, and it split open. And I thought, man, that looks like a pretty good watermelon. I took a bite, and I thought to myself, okay, that's delicious, and this is about to be dinner. So I sat there, and as I cut up the watermelon, I would put one piece in the bucket and eat another piece, and put one piece in the bucket and eat another piece. And then I was like almost full of watermelon. It was all cut up. And then I started on the mango, and I took a bite of the mango, and it melted in my mouth. It was like gold fruit. I couldn't believe how good it was. And I said, well, this is about to be dessert. So I worked over the mango. I think half of it made it into the bucket. And the other half went down in the record books as dessert. So if you ever get a chance to get a mango rosa, get it, peel it, and eat it. It's like candy. So after I'd gotten the fruit cut up and I cleaned up the cutting board and cleaned up the knife... And I don't really spend too much time worrying about my Tupperware situation or what I have lids for or what I don't. or I just kind of make do with what I got. And if I can't find a lid, very quickly I'd use foil. And so I had this big bucket. It was like a Heineken beer bucket it looked like. 
And I put all the fruit in there. Of course, there was no lid. I grabbed foil. I throw foil over the top. I'm going to go put it in the fridge. And as I, and I reached down to, to slide it in the very bottom shelf, and it slipped out of my hand, hit the edge of the inside of the refrigerator, and then flipped over and just hit the ground, and it was a fruit explosion on the floor. And I made some loud, terrible noise that I'm not even going to try to imitate because it would be embarrassing. But it must have been loud enough that Felipe <laughs> comes over from his guard shack. And I think it was a loud, terrible, whiny sound followed by some loud cuss words because I was so excited about that fruit and it just hit the ground and just exploded. So, but as soon as it hit the ground, man, I was scooping it up as fast as I could. And then I thought, well, you know what? I just washed it all off. I'll be fine. And then I thought, man, Ryan just cleaned this floor yesterday. There's no need to wash it off. It'll be just fine. If anything, it'll improve my immune system. So that's what I did. And then I had the same fruit that fell on the floor for breakfast today. And it, it kind of freaked me out a little bit as I was eating it, but I would just eat faster and then it would kind of go away. There was another holiday in the middle of the week this week. I think it was on Wednesday. And I don't know what the official name of it is. It's like day of the Virgin Mary statue being carted around on boats in the Bay of San Juan del Sur. And so I think that they, I think it's like a, a statue or some symbol that they go through like a ritual. And it has something to do with the Virgin Mary blessing the fishermen. So what they do is they just take all these big fishing boats, commercial fishing boats, private little dinghies, whatever, anything that can be used for fishing. And they put the Virgin Mary on there. And I think they pass it around from boat to boat. From what I can gather, that's, that's what I hear. But it's a ton of people. Every boat is just jam-packed with people. It looks like a, a bunch of escaped Haitians. So they put it on the boats. They pass it around. And then I went down to the beach around sunset. I totally forgot about this deal. But it's a big deal. Everyone goes to the beach and watches it. And the beach was packed. And so when I got there, they had these big bombas that are going off. They call them bombas. Or they're like, kind of like fireworks. But they're super cheap. And they just explode. They make a loud boom. They shoot up in the air and go boom. And there's no sparks. There's no colors, nothing. Just a loud boom. And they love them here. I, I guess they're cheap. I don't know because they don't spare any expense when they buy them. Luckily, they do them mainly in town. So I can't hear them. But if you live in town, when they start setting up the bombas, there's no break. They don't give it a rest. And they get right. They, for some reason, they set them off right by the church. And so if you live near the church, when it's bomba time, you're praying that it shuts down quick. So they're setting off all these bombas. And I look up about the time that one boat just starts hauling ass across the bay, like kind of weaving between the other boats or in front of them, just real close to where all the boats are moored up. And then I guess that's the boat that had the statue on it. And then like all the other boats were chasing it, following it. And they were flying through the bay. And I thought to myself, this, there's no way this is safe. Like they're coming within feet of these parked boats and they all have anchor lines and it's just a big scattered area of boats and they're just hauling ass through it and setting off bombas from the boats. They're setting off the bombas in the boats as they're driving. It was a sight to behold. So speaking of the ocean, and I know I've been talking about Ronnie a lot, but he provides me with some good material. And when I say provides me with good material, he gives me things to think about and notice the difference between how we do stuff 
back home and how they do stuff here. I love the guy to death. I'm going to do anything I can for him to help him out. But one day he brought me this little bag and it looked like it was full of clams or something. And he's like, do you know how to make ceviche? And I said, yeah, of course. Yeah. He said, well, here, I'm going to give you these. And I go, what are they? And he said, cockroaches, the cucarachas. And I said, cockroaches, those aren't cockroaches. And he was like, no, 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 cockroaches of the sea. And I said, oh, well, that's different then. So they look like little clams, like little mussels. And I've, I, have no, I still don't know what they are in the ocean. He said that they grow on rocks. And they look like a turtle shell, but they attach the rocks. And you walk along the rocks when the tide's out, and you pop them off, and then you go home, and then you crack them open, and you pull the meat out, just like you would a clam or a mussel or whatever, oyster. And so he brought this little bag of them. And he's like, make ceviche, make ceviche. I said, okay. So I made ceviche. And I think I made it a little bit too spicy because he, he took one bite. He's like, whoa, that's so spicy. So I took some over to a friend's house for a birthday party. And it was actually good. It was tender meat. It, did, it didn't get all hard and rubbery. And it, it was good. So I told him to bring some more. It would make some not so spicy. But what's so funny to me is that they just call them cockroaches of the sea. And that just shows me that they don't, like what they call things a lot of times isn't influenced by science. And I know rednecks can be the same way. Like we can make up words that have nothing to do with anything, but we know like what what it really is. So an example of this would be what we call June bugs. You know, everyone knows what a June bug is, even though different parts of the country, they call June bugs different things or there's other bugs that they call June bugs that don't look like what we call June bugs. But we all know that a June bug is like a kind of beetle. Well, we're not exactly sure what kind it is, but we could probably look it up and have you answer in no time flat. But here, it's just like, no, I'm just a sea cockroach. Like, I'm like, is it a mussel? Is it a clam? Is it a barnacle? Is it an urchin? And he said, it's just a sea cockroach. Like, stop asking me. <laughs> He's like, no, that, that's all I know. I don't know anything else. He said, I'll... We call them sea cockroaches. And then I asked my friend Gio, who's from Managua. He's Nicaraguan. And I said, Gio, what are these things they call sea cockroaches? He's like, they're just sea cockroaches. I said, there's no other name for them. Like, what family are they in? He's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. We just call them sea cockroaches. So my goal is to figure out what these things really are. Because they're really not cockroaches. Because they don't look anything like them. But leave it up to someone from the Latin culture to come up with a nickname or hear a nickname and then never question it and never think anything else about it. And I'm sure there are some examples of that where I'm from, like maybe lightning bug or firefly or, or whatever, but we could figure out what it really is. Here in Nicaragua, they don't have doorbells. Well, a lot of people don't even have doors in their house, but in town, all the houses are surrounded by a fence. So for you to get someone out of their house, if you're coming to get them or if you're delivering a bill or something, there's no way to get their attention except for one thing. So what they do is they'll walk up to the gate and they'll kind of look back into the house or into the property and go, buenas, which means like, good day. It's like short for like, good day or hello. And they'll go, buenas. And they'll just start repeating it louder and louder and louder. And over time, you, you get conditioned to know if they're at your neighbor's property or at your property. And sometimes they're relentless. I remember when I was living in town with Zach, 
they would come, like someone, the, the guy would bring like the electric bill because there's no mail. So the electric bill, they bring it to your house and they will buenos you to death until you come out there and get it from them. So I remember one time I woke up at like 7.15 a.m. to buenos, buenos, buenos. And just, they escalate it and they get louder and louder. And I laid there and I thought, I'm going to see how long this guy will go for. Uh, it doesn't matter to me whether he leaves the bill. They're not going to not get us the bill. If he leaves, they'll come back and get it to us. So I sat there for 30 minutes. Buenas. And listening to him. Buenas. I almost got out there just just to shut him up. But I thought, nope, I started this and I'm going to finish it. And it was 30 minutes. So my idea is to get all bunch of those wireless doorbells that you can buy at like Lowe's. That were just battery powered and they work on like an infrared signal and put the bell inside the house and the button on the outside. If I ever live around people, what I'm going to do is just buy enough of all those for my neighbors and one for myself so that I don't have to hear the buenas like a broken record. I mean, it's, it's a, it's brilliant idea. I mean, what are you going to do? You don't have a doorbell. You got to do something and they all use one word so that they know when it's time to come out, if they were like, hey, hey, you, and the other person was like, you know, screaming their name out, and maybe they don't want people knowing their name, but so, buenas, it, it works. It's just not the most appealing thing to hear for 30 minutes, first thing in the morning. I talked a little bit about getting my residency in an earlier show. The next step of the process is for somebody from some agency to come visit and see the business in San Juan del Sur. So they have to come from Managua. So I said, okay, just let me know when you're ready. So I got an email from the girl who's doing everything for me, and she said that they're going to be here Wednesday. I said, okay, what time and where should we meet? And she said, I don't know. We'll meet at your office. I said, we don't have an office. She goes, well, where should we meet? I said, I don't know. You're in charge of this deal. I'll meet wherever you want to. So she finally agreed that we're going to meet at the port, which is the entrance to go back to where the boat is. I thought about trying to take him out to the boat, but I don't know how long it's going to take. And I don't know. I don't really want them poking around out there. They just see this boat and they think that I wipe my ass with $100 bills, which is by far not the case. And so I try to just keep things on the down low. That's why we don't have an office because they'll come, you know, pounding down the door looking for you. So the, the kicker, though, is for, for them to meet with me here, which they require, like me going to their office in Managua isn't an option. So they have to come here. They want to see the business. And I think they want to see my house, but I'm not sure. So they have to come here, but you have to pay their way and you have to buy their meals for the day. And when she says you have to, I think it's part of the deal. Like you have to, I don't think it's optional and you're kind of like greasing their palms and being sweet to them. I think that's required. So she was trying to tell me to get a taxi from San Juan del Sur to go to Managua, pick them up, bring them back to San Juan del Sur, have them do what they got to do, take them back to Managua, and then the taxi driver come back here. And I said, there's no way. That's a day and a half worth of driving. That's just going to cost $300. And she said, well, I'll just get a taxi from here, and then it can bring us back. And I thought, brilliant. That's the way to do it. So I think that my total bill for the day is going to be around 200 bucks By the time I pay for the taxi, buy all their lunch, buy all their breakfast, and probably give them some T-shirts. It's going to be about a $200 ordeal. So I don't know if they're going to try to interview me or what they want to do, but I will report back. 
And residency is not citizenship. So a lot of people think that like I'm giving up my U.S. citizenship to get a residency, and that's not the case at all. It's just it's just a way to put me in Nicaragua's system as a guy who's living here that's not a citizen. And it gives me a formal ID, allows me to open bank accounts, whatever, get loans. I'm basically a real person. As whereas right now I'm just on a 90 day tourist visa. And what you have to do every 90 days if you don't leave the country is what they call a border run. So you go south to Costa Rica, which is about 30 minutes, walk across the border, get your passport stamp, walk back, and reset your 90 days. And sometimes there's sticklers about it. They'll get you on the way back in from Costa Rica and say, oh, no, you got to stay here for three days. Or sometimes they'll say, you got to stay here for you know 24 hours, and they, they'll make stuff up. So what you do is say, oh, okay. Then you go back, and then you come back, but you find a different little gate to go through. I haven't had to go through this yet because I've left frequently enough to not have to worry about it. But it's definitely an advantage to have your residency so you don't have to do that. Although there's duty-free stores at the border. So it's a good excuse to stock up on some Crown Royal. All right, it's time for the dog story. I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this because I'm kind of running out of dog story. I'm not running out, but I just I don't know if people really like them or not. I don't know. So dog story. It was 4th of July weekend. This was probably six years ago, five, maybe four. And I was staying at a friend's house for the weekend. And we had gone out riding four-wheelers all night. It was like 4 a.m. We had the dogs with us. And we were riding around, probably having a few beers, doing fireworks and redneck things. And so we get back to the house. We unload the four-wheelers, put everything up, close the door to the garage, and I look around. And I'm like, oh, man, there's no Bentley. And Bentley's notorious for just trotting away, just kind of wandering off neighborhoods, my house, wherever. She'll go off on her own. Sometimes she'll come back when I call her. Sometimes it requires like getting on the four-wheeler and driving around. So no Bentley. Four o'clock a.m. We hop in the truck. We're driving around. Got the spotlights. Calling, calling, calling. Nothing. We look for about an hour and a half. And then finally I said, you know what? I bet if she hears the four-wheeler start up, she'll come running, which was like an old trick that I used to do. When she would go missing, I'd go out to my shop, open up the doors, crank the four-wheeler, rev it up, and she thought it was time to go ride the four-wheeler, so she'd come sprinting from wherever she was. So I head for the garage. I go to open the door, pull the door open, and there's Bentley inside the garage, curled up in a tiny little ball on top of the seat of my four-wheeler, which is sitting on a trailer. So the whole time we were looking for her, she was just balled up in the garage, probably pacing around when she was hearing her name, frustrated that she couldn't get out but she gave up and went to sleep and it was a bittersweet ending because I felt like an idiot for having her locked in the garage for an hour and a half but at the same time I was glad to have her back that is going to wrap up today's show thanks for listening life in paradise podcast you can check out our website nikasailandsurf.com and come go sailing with us thanks again for listening keep it tranquilo.